give God the praise for his goodness. Amen. Father, we just want to express our love to you tonight. We're so grateful for you and your word. Thank you, Lord, for sending us your word and you healed us, the Bible says. Delivered us and brought us, Lord, to a new place with you. You died for us while we were yet sinners. We weren't even aware of you or your love for us. And yet in your love, you came to us. I thank you for your goodness, your grace. Be with us tonight in a very special way, Lord. Draw us close to you. Let your word penetrate deep into our hearts tonight. Give us fresh manna from above. That your name would be exalted, O oh Lord. That we would strengthen your body tonight. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Someone's got to shout amen tonight. Hallelujah. Now, I'm just going to ask you one small favor. Can we just come up a little bit, folks? I know I love you back there, but that's okay. You know, it's, we want you just a little bit closer. I'm not asking you to come to the front. Just a little bit closer. I don't think that's the end of the world. I hope you're okay with that. All right. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good. We want to finish off a few thoughts of chapter 10, and we're going to go right into chapter 13 and 14 tonight. And so, I want to just, a bit of a backdrop before we begin. Last week, we discussed that because Gideon made an alliance with the Gibeonites, remember, the Gibeonites deceived Gibeon in making a treaty with him. They pretended they were from a far country. And they found an exception in the law where they can make a, an agreement with a nation that was far away. And they deceived Gideon. They brought to him this old bread and old clothes and they signed an agreement. And Gideon found out that these Gibeonites only lived about a half a mile away and he was overwhelmed. He was shocked. He couldn't believe what he did. And we talked about the principle of being too hasty at times. We make decisions too quickly without seeking God. And Gideon, and of course, Joshua had to suffer the consequences. In just a matter of days, there was a king by the name of Odani Zedek. He was one of the kings in the land of Canaan. And he got together with four of his friends in the nations. And now they're upset because the Gibeonites are now in alliance with Joshua. And so they had two reasons. They wanted to destroy the Gibeonites for making an alliance with their enemy because the Gibeonites were, were part of the Canaanites. And so they wanted to attack them and also, of course, to attack Israel. And they were planning to destroy them. And you can be sure they vastly outnumbered Israel. And we learned last week that Gideon, sorry, that Joshua came before the Lord and he asked for forgiveness. He repented and God gave him a plan. God told him what to do. And as he gave him a plan, God intervened in a way that 
No one else can. If it wasn't for God and what he was going to do, of course, Joshua would have never won the battle. We talked about these incredible hailstones that, that the Lord sent from heaven to destroy part of the army. And we know that hailstones are not common. And God released these hailstones only in that area of Canaan that brought destruction to Israel's enemies. And then the Bible says that Joshua was pursuing the enemy and it started getting dark. And God did another miracle. He extended the light. He told the sun to stand still. And the sun stood still. And, and, and Joshua was able to overtake the enemy. As he fought, God performed an incredible miracle. And Joshua had the victory. And so as we conclude, we didn't get a chance to conclude chapter 10 last week. As we conclude tonight, I want to share some thoughts about Joshua. And of course, I want to share some thoughts about the power of God. First of all, I want you to notice that Joshua had incredible integrity. He kept his treaty even when facing war. It could be easy for Joshua to abandon his treaty. But he made a treaty with the Gibeonites. And now, and now the enemy was coming to fight against him because of that treaty. But he didn't back, he didn't, he maintained his integrity. He didn't say, I'm not, I'm not going to continue with this treaty. I, he actually fought for the Gibeonites because he made this covenant. And we talked about the importance of making a covenant and sticking to your covenant. Today we don't, we don't do that much. We don't keep our vows very well. If things take place, something we don't like, we just take off. We're not committed. But Joshua was committed because he was a man of integrity. Then number two, what do we learn about Joshua? That Joshua had incredible passion. Darkness was coming. And Joshua prayed. He said, Lord, you told me to... To destroy my enemies. Not partially but completely. And Lord if the darkness comes. I won't be able to do that. So he prayed. And God caused the sun to stand still. One of the greatest miracles in the Bible. What does this tell me of Joshua? His passion. It tells me about his hunger. Darkness. And he pursued them. Now we might get discouraged. When darkness comes. But Joshua prayed that God would turn it around. Give me more light, Lord, that I might pursue my enemies. You see, my friends, we need to pray, Lord, give me enough light to complete the battle you have before me. That was the cry of Joshua for a complete victory, not a partial victory. And we talked about this on Sunday, didn't we? When, when God told Nahum, the, 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 the general of, 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 of the army of Syria, when he came for a healing, he went to speak to Elisha. The servant told him, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. And we learned that when God says seven, six is not enough. Complete obedience. Many of us, you know, we go down once, we're not healed. We go down twice, we're not healed. We start thinking, is this real? Am I going to go continue with this? We go down three times, we're not healed. We go down four times, we're not healed. I'm sure your mind wanders, where is God in all of this? But, but Naaman went 
all the way. Partial obedience does not please God. He's looking for wholehearted commitment. The point is, it it's, wasn't complete. It wasn't complete. And if it's not complete, it will come back to haunt you, brothers and sisters. You can be sure your sin will find you out. You see, the problem with Israel, they didn't destroy the enemies completely like God told them. And what happened is they became a thorn to Israel later on. But that wasn't Joshua. Joshua wanted to complete the task. What a spirit. He wanted to finish his course. He wanted to go to the very end. Like Paul, I fought the good fight of faith. Most of us would cry out, Oh Lord, shorten the day of my pain. But Joshua cried out for God to lengthen it. Oh my friends, do not let the sun go down on your responsibilities. Do not let the sun go down on your responsibilities. Oh, but it's getting dark, but you don't know what the difficulties I've had. But you see, last week this happened. I got sick. There's always excuses that we can make so that we don't finish the task. And some of them are valid. Joshua had a valid excuse to stop. The sun was going down. Look at the passion hunger of this man. You see, hunger will cause you to do things that aren't ordinary. That's why the devil's after your hunger. If he can get your hunger, he can stop you from going further with God, from seeing this power in your life. The reason why Joshua saw the power of God is because not only was he a man of faith, but he had hunger for God. And if you hunger for God, you will be filled. You will be fed. You will see his glory. You will see his glory. We're great starters, but we're not good finishers. Point is, my friends, we should never delay. Deal with it completely. Completely. Be persistent. Be passionate. That's what we see with Joshua. What about the things of God? What do we see about the Lord's character? I'll give you some principles that begin with G. First of all, what I want you to notice, this is by way of application. What we see here, this teaches us about God's absolute blessing and willingness to, to bless His people and to keep His word. Listen friends, God said, I will be with you always, Joshua. And God was always with Joshua. No matter what, even when Joshua sinned, God was still with him. He was going to work it out. Even when we are faithless, he is what? He is faithful. Because God will not operate like you operate or like I operate. We see God's integrity here to keep his word. If God says something, he'll do it. And so the first principle is, first G, I want you to see the grace of God in times of difficulty. You got to remember, when you look back in your life and you look back in the situations of what you got through, you, you see the grace of God, how He pulled you through it. You see the grace of God, how He sustained you through all those things. Sometimes you don't see it until you look back and say, oh, do you remember what happened? Look, what ha look how I got through this. And we're able to remember and see how God intervened 
how God's grace sustained you through all those difficulties. Listen, friend, Joshua never had a day like this. Yes, he made a mistake about that treaty with the Gibeonites. He didn't seek the Lord. And as a result, he had to walk 25 miles to fight these five nations. But his integrity was at stake. I'm sure Joshua asked the question, why is this happening to me? Have you ever asked this question, why is this happening? But Joshua found out about God's grace. And his grace is sufficient no matter what you're going through, friends. His grace will sustain you. You might think that it's not sufficient. And you might think, I can't take it anymore. But I got a word for you, friends. God will allow you to go through as much as you can handle because it's his grace that sustains you it's his power that sustains you and as long as his power sustains you then you're able to go through that fire you'll be able to go through that pit because it's God's power working in you not your power you'll fall but God's grace will sustain you that's why the apostle Paul said my grace is sufficient and Paul cried out many times Remember, he had a thorn in his flesh that was really disturbing him. He was going through a lot of trauma, and a lot of pain. And God says, Paul, I, I'm going to give you enough grace so you can get through it. God's grace is sufficient. Number two, I see God's goodness in difficult times. All through the conflict, Joshua has been in fellowship with God. And in verse 8, the Bible says, fear not, I have and I will deliver you. God constantly brought encouragement to Joshua. And Joshua remembers in chapter 1, he said, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And we said in our first session together that that applies to the church. That applies to us. As God said, I'll be with Joshua, I'll be with you. Also, he speaks to you, my friend. He speaks to you, my sister, my brother. As he was with Joshua, he will be with you. Because Jesus said, lo, I am with you to the very ends of the earth. You're never alone. You might feel alone, but you're never alone. Never. His goodness. He's always there. And in verse 25, the Bible tells us he transmitted the encouragement to his people. And he shared that. He said, look, I want to encourage you people. Don't, don't, don't let your circumstances dissuade you. God will be there. God will sustain you. The point is, what God did for him, he'll do for us. He did it for Israel. He will do it over and over again. Why? Because of his goodness. Lamentations chapter 3, the Bible says, the Lord is good unto them who wait upon him. He's good to those who wait. To those who trust him. To those who seek him, he will not abandon you. He might not show up the time you want him to show up. You might be praying for certain things and things might not be happening according to your schedule. And I understand that because that's happened to me many times. But God's not late. He knows exactly the time he needs to come. Whether it's four days later or 40 days later. God knows the exact time. And that's where you need to trust him. That he's a good God. He'll never allow anything to really harm you. Number three, we see through the story 
that this teaches us about the greatness of God. That He can do anything. There's nothing God cannot do. He's in charge. He can cause the sun to stand still. He can cause hail to come from nowhere. He can cause the winds to cease. Cause the oceans to split in half. And allow us to walk through into our salvation. There's nothing God cannot do. The elements do not hinder him. Nothing can cause him to stumble. Some men have a little God. But some men have a great God. But when God speaks, it's done. It's done. It's a fait accompli. It's done because God is who he is. And when David faced Goliath, he faced a God that uh, he, he was working with and in tune with a God that is greater than, than Goliath. And that was the problem with Israel. Israel saw a big giant that was monstrous, a giant they feared. But you see, David didn't fear Goliath because he feared God. Because his God is bigger than Goliath. Your problems aren't as big as you think they are because you serve a bigger God oh my friends I'd rather believe God for too much than too little <laughs> we have more faith in the devil's ability to mess than God's ability to bless <laughs> my God Joshua had faith in God I got to ask you, do you act like someone who sees a little God or do you respond to the things of this world and the life and the experiences like you serve a big God? How big is your God when you're going through a crisis, my friend? How big is your God will determine how you live, will determine the anxiety and stress that you have. You see, God who can split oceans, who can extend the light, God who can heal the blind, God who can cause the lame to walk, is never hindered by any circumstances because he's above time and he's above the natural realm. He's the supernatural, the celestial, and the terrestrial has no opposition against God. He is not encumbered by the telestial because he is supreme. Listen, friends. You're not dealing with a weak, lethargic, frustrated God gasping for air. Tired. You're serving the almighty El Shaddai El Elyon, God of heaven. There's nothing he cannot do. Yes, I know. We see wars around us. Yes, I know the economy's not great. I know the rent in Toronto is, is, is off the charts. I know that some of us can't buy a home. I know that some of us can't even afford the rent. I know that. I know we're living through difficult times. And I know the government is in trouble. But God is never in trouble. He never sweats. He's never confused. He's the sovereign, omnipotent God. He's got one foot upon the land and one upon the sea. He's the immutable, unchanging God of heaven. There's nothing he cannot do. He reigns supreme. He sits upon the circle of the earth as a judge sits upon his bench. Nothing escapes him. He sees everything. There's nothing he does not know. And if it's a mountain, my friend, he speaks to that mountain. He says, be moved. Be gone. If it's a chain, God says, I can break it. If it's a burden, 
God says I can bear it. If it's fear, God says I can dispel it. If it's a disease, I can heal it. If it's a demon, I can cast it out. And God says, he says, listen, if you're hungry, come, come. I am the bread. I will feed you. If you're thirsty, come and drink. I am the living water. If you need healing, come. I will bring healing to your soul. If you need deliverance, if you are bound, I can set you free. Oh my God. He's bigger than all the giants. Bigger than all the problems. There's nothing he cannot do. There's nothing in this natural world that God cannot change. Do you understand? Nothing in this natural realm. Nothing. What is a miracle? A miracle transcends the natural realm. That's a miracle. A true miracle. Well, Pastor, uh, I feel a little better. I had a cold yesterday. Thank God for that miracle. Well, it could be. But, brothers and sisters, we use the word miracle so flippantly. Miracle. God takes the natural realm and changes the course of the natural. I had a friend of mine in Bible college. His name is Ron. Man of God. One of the few that lived off campus. Good friend of mine. He was one of the few that were married. Had uh, two children. Had a newborn baby. But he was a Bible college student. Didn't have much money. He was renting this apartment in Peterborough. And uh, he was struggling financially big time. He couldn't even afford milk. Formula. His wife stopped breastfeeding. Couldn't afford the milk. And uh, you know, I know my daughter. I know that this formula is very expensive. And he was really, didn't know what to do. He's a father and his children. And he prayed one day. He says, Lord, I'm going to have to stop the ministry. I got to get a job. I got no money. I can't, I can't even buy milk for my children. You know, you're poor when you're in Bible college, let me tell you. <laughs> you're very poor, sir. physically anyway. Most students. So he was out to, to find a job so he can get some money to buy milk for his child. That's how, that's how difficult it was for him. True story. But something inside him, no. And he decided to pray really intensely. Lord, what is it you want me to do? And the Lord spoke to him. The Lord told him something that really didn't make sense to him. The Lord told him, Ron, take an empty pitcher and put it in the fridge. Excuse me, I don't understand. Take an empty pitcher. Like, you know, you have a pitcher of water. Just put it in the fridge. Okay, Lord, I don't understand this. He put it in the fridge. The next morning, he woke up. And he went to the fridge and he opened up the fridge. And it was filled with milk. But it wasn't homogenized, 2%, 3% milk. It was a different kind of milk that was meant for that newborn. And God kept doing that every single day for Ron until the summer came. And then he found a job for just the summer and went back to Bible college. 
And God blessed them more and more because he put his confidence in God. Friends, that's a miracle. When something in the natural doesn't make sense, where only can be explained by the supernatural. Nobody went into the fridge and put milk, my friend. God did it supernaturally. And some of you are saying, wow, but is, did not God multiply a few fish and a few bread to feed the fire? Can you imagine being the Israelite and going before the Red Sea and you see a monstrosity of an army coming towards you and you see a sea and literally seeing it split open before your eyes? Friends, this God hasn't changed. He's still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The question is, do we believe? Has God changed? When the disciples were praying for Peter, when they found out that Peter, their pastor, their pastor, the man of God, was thrown into jail. The Bible says in Acts, I believe the 10th chapter, they prayed, or the 12th chapter, they Instant, when they heard, they began to pray and cried out to God. The whole church that night were crying and interceding to God that God would deliver Peter. And a series of miracles took place. God delivered Peter. My friends, you think God has changed? No, no, no. We have changed, not God. The same God of Joshua is the same God of Peter. And it's the same God of Logos and the same God for you and for me, brothers and sisters. And now fast forward as we go into chapter 13 and 14. I will just read a few verses in chapter 13 and we will continue in chapter 14. I want you to notice now Joshua is getting a little older. Time has passed. Verse 1, And Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said to him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that ye remaineth in the borders of the Philistines and the Geshurah. So Joshua, you're getting older, but there's still a lot of work to do because you haven't taken the territory like I instructed you to do. And there was a reason. It wasn't Joshua's fault. It was the children of Israel. And we're going we're gonna to look at that. Now fast forward to chapter 14. Let's look at verse number 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, please underscore this man. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. The Kenizzite. Hold on. Kenizzite, just for your information, that means he was a non-Hebrew. That means he was a Canaanite. Wait a minute. Caleb was a Canaanite? Ah, we're going to go further today. We're going to go a little deeper. Stay with me. Watch this. And he said unto thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses... The man of God concerning me, thee in Kadesh Barnea, 40 years old, 
Was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart? Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. There's no partial obedience here. When God says seven, six is not enough. Wholly obey the Lord. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord thy God. Because you have honored me, Caleb, you have followed me wholly, I'm going to bless you immeasurably. Look, God has given us all things that pertain unto godliness, but i got to tell you something, friends. As we follow Him, and as we are more intimate with Him, and as we continue to surrender to Him, and as we continue to open our hearts to Him, I'm going to tell you something. There's a special revelation that comes. A blessing that comes. For Jesus Himself said in John 14, 21, If you obey me and follow my commandments, I will manifest myself. I will appear. I will, I will bring a blessing. And now behold, verse 10, the Lord hath kept me alive. This is Caleb's testimony. And he said these 45 years, since the Lord spake his word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am as day fourscore and, and five. I am 85 years old. From 40 to 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as I was the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. I'm just as strong as 85 as I was when I was a kid. I can fight this war. Let me tell you something. It's not easy to fight a battle like this, my friend. In the Greek army, you weren't allowed to be a soldier if you were 25 years over. Too old. If you were 26, you're too old. What? He's 85! I'm still as strong as I was then. Verse 12, now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in the day how the Anakims were there, and the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me. Then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said, and Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, as an inherit Hebron. Wow. Hebron, my brothers and my sisters, was the place that David was making. Oh, I'm excited. I'm gonna, we're going to go deeper today. Stay with me. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Canaanite, unto this day because that he wholly followed the Lord. Because he followed the Lord. Because, no other reason. It wasn't because he was good looking. It wasn't because he had a PhD. It wasn't because he had all these degrees. It wasn't because he was the CEO of the Bank of Montreal. It, because he followed the Lord fully. 
And that doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what color of skin you have. doesn't matter what pedigree you come from. This applies to every single human being on the face of the earth. All of us have the capacity and the potential to follow the Lord fully. And that, my friend, is what greatness is all about. The Bible says Joshua was old, chapter 13, we just read it, stricken of age, mentioned six times in the Bible. Imagine that. Caleb also was old. Isn't it interesting, both Joshua and Caleb are old. The two men that believed God are now old in years. The rest of them have died in the wilderness. Oh, there's another sermon right here. But God has used men of age and women of age for his greatness. And there's always this excuse that we make as we get older. And I've heard it as a pastor all these years. But you know, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little older. And I'm not doing those things anymore. And I understand that there's a time that you have to be able to, to go on to the next level, the next place, the next destiny for your life and season. But there's some people that are getting older and they're making an excuse for not doing things because of their age. And that's completely different. In other words, you might use your age as an excuse for not doing things. And you might be perfectly healthy. It may not be age, it could be your youth. I'm too young, I'm too old. Uh, or you can be saying, I don't have the ability, or I don't have the strength, or I don't have the know-how. We make all kinds of excuses when we face the enemy, don't we? Caleb was 85 years of age when he experienced the greatest victory in his life. Friends, did you hear that? Caleb experienced the greatest victory in his life at 85 years of age. Do you know how rare it was to be that old? In the history of Israel, they were dying off left and right. 85. He stood out from all because of his faith. You see... I'll give you two B's. What he believed resulted in how he behaved. What you believe gives birth to what and how you behave. It's all about what you believe. Don't forget this because at the end of my message, I'm going to share something so powerful. What you believe is how you behave. What you believe is how you live. What you believe is what you do every day. What you, it's about your faith. It's about you believe. What do you believe? Remember, Joshua and Caleb believed God. Despite all the calamities, despite all the giants, they were sent to spy out the land. They came back to the camp in Kadesh Barnea. The ten spies forgot 
all about God's power. They forgot about what God did and they were just governed by what they saw but not Caleb, not, not Joshua. They didn't care what they saw. They didn't care what the enemy said. Their belief was in God. You see, the majority measured the giants against their own strength but Caleb measured the giants by God's strength. I'm not going to measure the giant that I see by its strength or by the world's strength because I've got a God that's bigger and stronger than any giant that comes against you or me. How do you measure things? How do you see things? How do you perceive things? Our significance comes not from where we are or what we do, but who he is. And because the people refused to believe after God did miracle after miracle after miracle, he allowed them to wander 40 years in the desert until they all died up except only two entered. Oh my friends, look, look, look. It's not how big your problem is. It's always how big your God is. It's always that. Because we will always have problems in our lives. We'll always have struggles. That's just part of life. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. Job said, I believe it's the fifth chapter, I, I was born into trouble as the spark that flieth upward. You will have tribulation. Stop trying to avoid it. Stop trying to justify it. It's not because of your sin. It could be at times, but not necessarily. It's not, we, we will just suffer. We will go through. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And you need to understand that and you need to accept it. You can't avoid it. You will go through trials. Stop blaming yourself. Stop blaming him. Stop blaming the pastor. Stop blaming your brother. You will go through tribulation. It's the facts of life. And you have to deal with it and you have to accept it. Question is... Not whether you're going to go through that pain. The question is, when you go through that giant, when you go through that problem, how big is your God? That's always the question. Listen, my friends, I'm thinking of Moses, his mother. He sent him down the Nile filled with danger. Imagine his mother sent a baby, basically. Yeah, yeah, filled with crocs and water serpents and Nile perch that are about six feet long. Listen, I watched a documentary on the Nile. They still exist, these creatures. Dangerous, dangerous creatures. Flooded banks. All kinds of obstacles. Do you think Moses made it because he knows how to swim? <laughs> no, my friends. He didn't make it because he knows how to swim. He's a baby. God did something. God's power sustained him. And that's how you made it. You might think you made it on your own strength. But God sustained you. Because of his power. Because of his grace. He hasn't abandoned you. And so in our text. Israel is in the promised land. And the land was to be allotted to the different tribes. There would be a portion of land for Judah, a portion of land for Nephtali, a portion of land for Asher, a portion of land for Dan, all kinds of land for the 12 tribes of Israel. Distributed by Joshua, the leader. And Caleb comes on the scene and he makes a request. 
And that, this request literally sets him apart from every single one. I want to share some principles tonight that begin with V. I don't think I've ever preached principles that begin with V, but here we are. I found some. Principles that begin with V as we dissect the life of Caleb. Number one, why was he so different? Why did God honor him? Why did God bless him so mightily? Number one, number one, I want you to notice that he had a vigorous spirit. A vigorous spirit. Caleb succeeded while others failed because of this spirit, this vigorous, passionate spirit. Notice verse 11 of chapter 14. Notice verse 11. Look what it says. As yet I was as strong this day as I was in the day of Moses when he sent me. As my strength was then, even so my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Man, my, I, I, actually, I'm even getting stronger. I'm getting stronger. He's 85 years old. What? And the amazing thing about it is that Joshua didn't dispute him. He didn't say, you know, now Caleb, maybe you're getting some dementia here. You know, you're a little bit older. You know, maybe you're losing your sense of reality. No, no. Joshua confirmed it because he saw something in this man. Listen, friends, you, you know, again, people, they talk about all their great exploits. And you'll see people talking about, it doesn't, you don't have to say anything. People know who you are by the spirit you have. They'll just sense it. See, Caleb had a different spirit. It was vigorous. It was passionate for God. You can't hide passion. You can't teach passion. When I coached soccer, when I was in Brantford, I had some girls that I coached. My daughter was on the team. And I would tell my girls I was coaching. So, you know, I can't teach you to be passionate. But I can show you. And I took the ball and I started dribbling and I, w I was really aggressive and I was passionate. And, and I tried to show him them. You don't play soccer like this. You know how girls are, you know. Oh, oh, there's a flower. Let me pick, there's a flower in the grass. Let me, let me, they pick me down the lines in the field, you know. What? Joshua didn't dispute Caleb. He said, okay. Because he was vigorous. He was passionate. Reminds me of David. His cry, Lord, enlarge my heart that I might run to you. Psalm 119 verse 32. Enlarge. I got to, Lord, I just give me a bigger heart for you that I can run to you. Wow. Oh God, thou art my, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and weary land where there's no water to see your power. For my, my, my spirit followeth hard after thee. Passion! Is what moves the hand of God. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man can someone say it again? The what? The effectual? Fervent. Does anybody know what fervent means? And I know what it means. I'm sure you know what it means. In the Greek, does anybody know? It means to be aglow. To be on fire. 
Caleb was on fire. Number two, Caleb succeeded where others failed because he had a visionary spirit. Oh my. As I said before, I think it was a few weeks ago, there's three kinds of Christians. Number one, there are the maintainers. Honey, it's time for church. Oh yeah, let's just go to church. Okay, we'll go to church on Sunday. We'll sit down on Sunday. Very good, nice. That was a great sermon, Pastor. Thank you so much. I gotta go. It's time for me to leave. And I'll see you again next Sunday, Pastor. Same place. So you're relationship with God is based on one Sunday after. Listen friends, you can never get in shape spiritually by going to church once a week. If you're going to train only once a week, you will not get in shape in anything. Whether it's physical, and believe me, I know. Because I've done a lot of training in my life. And there's no way you can train to get any goal physically if you just do it once a week for just two hours. It's a lot, two hours, but that's it. Because it doesn't work that way. There needs to be consistency. Give us this day our daily. I'm just going to go to church on Sunday and that's it. That's, that's not a very good workout spiritually, let me tell you. It doesn't work that way. He was a visionary. The first person you have is the maintainer. Then there's another kind of Christian. The maintainer just settles for the status quo. The maintainer settles for the ordinary. The maintainer settles for the normal. But I don't need normal. I could do normal... You know, at home. I don't want to do normal in church. But if you're a maintainer, you're fine with normal. Don't shuffle. Don't change anything. I want it the way it is. This is how we always do it. Don't shake. Don't move. Don't touch. This is the way it is. This is the way it would always be. Maintainers. I remember when I first came to the church. I have no problem with pulpits. But the pulpit I had here was the size of Mount Rushmore. It was... Uh, nothing wrong. I, I'm not saying anything. I'm just making a point. It was about... I mean, it was a, a huge. Nothing wrong, but it was too big for me. And so I decided to take away the pulpit. And I decided to preach from a music stand. <gasps> Pasta! Blasphemy! What are you doing? Maintainers don't like change. Maintainers do not see growth. Can't have growth because they're doing the same thing over and over again. And if you're doing the same thing over and over again, don't ever expect to change. It's impossible. Then there's another group of people. They're the inhibitors. You've got the maintainers, then the inhibitors that always try to stop anything from happening. No! 
Can't do that because, you know, this can cause problems. No, can't do that. It costs too much. No, not able to do that because 10 weeks ago this happened. Can't. Always trying to put water over some fire or water over some vision. Always trying to stop you from going to the next level. Inhibitors. Pharisees. I've had a few experiences in my day. But then the last group are innovators. The Caleb spirits, visionaries. They make, you know, they make their mistakes, but they're visionaries. They're dreaming. They say, Lord, I, I want to do things for you. Lord, I, I just open doors that I might... I, I don't want to just exist. I don't want to sit in a pew. Come to church once a week and then go home. I want to make a difference in this world. Show me what I need to do. Open my eyes. Give me a vision. Without a vision, my people perish, the Bible says. No wonder we have so many Christians that are defeated. They have no vision. You got no vision. You don't want to get out of bed. If you got no vision, you got no purpose. Do you hear me, friends? Why do you think many of us are depressed? We don't know what we're doing in this world. We need a vision. A vision, Lord, show me. Lead me, guide me, open my eyes. I, I need to see what you want me to do, Lord. Show me where you want me to go. Guide me, Lord. I, I might be 85, but Lord, if I still have air to breathe, I want to I give you my life. I, I, I might be limping, but Lord, whatever it is, I, I might have a handicap. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want me, Lord, just take me, use me. I, I'm not going to allow my handicaps to hinder, hinder what, what, what I feel I need to do for you. Just give me a vision, Lord. Show me. Oh, Lord, for more visionaries today. And Caleb heard the promises. He believed God. That's what made him great. While Caleb is marching up and down the desert, you can hear him perhaps. Use your imagination. You can hear Caleb saying, one of these days I'm going to cross over this river, this Jordan, and I'm going home. I'm going to the place where God has called us. I'm going into that, that promised land. I'm going forward. I'm not going to allow the devil. I'm not going to allow these giants to hinder me because God spoke it. I heard him say it. He spoke to the children of Israel and I'm just going to believe it. I don't care about Goliath. I don't care about the Anakims. I don't care about the Amalekites. I don't care about the Jebusites. I don't care about the Hittites. I don't care about any other ites. If God said it, that's all I need to know. Caleb wasn't guided by feelings and emotions and obstacles. See, great men, my friends, are truly uncomplicated. Did you know that? They're not that complex. Why? Because they have a faith. A childlike faith, a vision that's so simple that it becomes the focus of their whole lives. As one man once said, I'm not moved by what I see. I am moved by what God has said. Very simple. You see, Caleb seen the promise 
understood the promise and he believed God and it didn't matter how big the giants were. Look, I don't have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that you and I are in this wilderness. That's right, the wilderness of our own lives. The sands of decay are all around us. You can see it. We're living in perilous times. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, I spoke about it the other day. Jesus said, when I come back to the earth, there's going to be different things happening, perilous times happening. And he said in the 17th chapter of Luke, it will be like the days of Noah. What were the days of Noah? Full of violence. As we read Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says, during the days of Noah, it was filled with violence. The Hebrew word for violence is the word Hamas. The spirit of Hamas will rule the world or try to invade this world with corruption and destruction. It will be like the days of Lot, Jesus said. Sexual immorality and debauchery. We see this today. We're in the wilderness. And so are we to recoil? Because of it. No. No, my friends. We go forward because God has spoken to us. Because we have a destiny. Because God said that one day I'm coming back. Because you got your own promised land that I'm going to bring you to. For in my Father's house there are many mansions, O Church of Logos. And those that are watching me on YouTube and Facebook. You've got destiny. You've got purpose. God has given you an expected end. God's got something more. Caleb had a promised land that he was going. He's given you a promised land. Hold on to it. Believe it. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We're just pilgrims passing through this world. This is not my home. This is... Not my place. My citizenship is in heaven. God said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, He's put eternity in my heart. I know that there's more to this world. He's put the Spirit of God in me. I know what Jesus said when He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. And He says, And this place ye know. But nobody taught them. They just knew it in their spirit. No, they didn't have a course on it. They just knew it in their spirit. It's the same thing where God has put eternity in your spirit. It's the same connection. You just know that you know that you know that you know that you know because God has spoken to you. It's a promised land that God has prepared for those who believe in Him. And one day we will end up in the new Jerusalem. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saves me by his grace. Takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day. What a glorious day. I know we're not there yet, my friends, but you can see it. You can taste it. Why? Because he said it. Because he said it. I believe it. We notice verse 13, Caleb asks, watch this now. Here we see the greatness of his visionary spirit. He asks for an area known as Hebron. Why Hebron? Well, Caleb marched in this land in the earlier years. He was told this was a sacred place in Canaan. That's right. Abraham buried Sarah there, Isaac, Rebecca, the cave of Machpelah. That was the area now occupied by the enemy. And there were the strongest enemies in that area of Hebron. They were the strongest and biggest giants. Now watch this. 
the strongest and biggest giants in Hebron. And what land does Caleb ask for? Hebron. And he's 85 years old. What's your excuse, sir? What's your excuse? Why you can't do things. It didn't matter how big the enemy was. But as I mentioned in verse 13, friends, that Caleb wasn't even a full-fledged Hebrew. The Kerizite was one of the tribes driven out in the land of Canaan. As were the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Kenizzites. See, Caleb heard about God's people. He heard about the Lord's power. And he wanted to know more about God, just like Rahab. Isn't it amazing that these two Gentiles, Rahab and Caleb, look what came out of them, and they didn't go to Hebrew school. They didn't go to church. They weren't raised in Sunday school. Some of the greatest men of God didn't go to Sunday school. They weren't raised in the church. My friends. But he heard about the power of God and he was attracted to that. Wanted to know more about God. Just like Rahab. Wow. Verse 12, it's Anakim. Here we see a reference to the giants, the son of Anak. Numbers 13, the same groups of people, but only two believed. This is where Goliath came from. This is the area that Goliath came from of the Philistines. Can you imagine that? And now he's 85 years old and he wants to continue to fight this warfare. And so what's the point? Caleb chose the hardest assignment there uh, there was in that whole area to settle in. Oh my goodness. You see, nobody had taken this piece of real estate because they were too scared to fight against the giants. Nobody wanted Hebron but Caleb. We always want the easy way, don't we? And you've heard me say many times, there's no elevators when it comes to the things of God. Everybody's got to take the steps, my that's how you learn. That's how you grow. Through the giants and through the battles. Listen. Seamen and mariners are never made good through calm seas. No. Remember, too much sunshine causes deserts. <laughs> And so, this was the toughest piece of real estate that you can possibly want to fight against these men would be murder, would be insane to the natural mind, but not with Caleb. Now, I got to pause, friends. You know, there are some people who have stopped living even before they died. Do you know that? There are some people who have stopped living even before they died. Why? Because they have no vision. 
They have no vision, no purpose. That's why you're destroyed. Oh, friends, I need to ask you, do you have a vision today? Do you have a vision today? You see, a vision will refuse all the temptations to hibernate, to settle for the status quo. You don't want to be a maintainer. A visionary can never be a maintainer. He's an innovator. That's right. That's where the process of decay sets in when you have no vision. When you have no vision, you might be a millionaire, but you're the poorest person on the face of the earth. I'll tell you what poverty is. I'll tell you what poverty is. Not someone who has no money, but someone who has no vision. That's poverty. You can be the richest man on the face of the earth, but be poor. Oh yeah, you got your inheritance and you're a millionaire, but you're poor because you got no vision. Now, did you know that there's many young people, young people, who are dying spiritually, twenties, thirties, and forties because they have no vision. Did you know that? Young people. That's right. There's a lot of people who have stopped living before they even died. I'll say it again. You see, death is not the greatest loss in life. No, no, no. The greatest loss is what dies inside of you when you're still alive. That's death. What dies in you while you're still alive. There are people that are walking here in the streets, but they're dead. They got no vision. No passion. No hunger. And so Joshua had a vigorous spirit. He was a visionary. And lastly, number three, he succeeded while others failed because he had a vigilant spirit. First Peter 5 says, Be careful, the devil, he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So be sober, be vigilant, be vigilant, be careful. We're in a battle, be vigilant, be sober, be alive, be awake. Cause God, open my eyes, let me see this battle. We're in a battle. We got to be sober. Jesus said, occupy till I come. I got to be sober minded. So I won't get caught off guard. He was vigilant. What do I mean? Listen, Caleb finished his task because of his persistence. He was vigilant. He kept going and going. Because his faith was in God, like Paul, I fought the good fight of faith. In Joshua 13, 1 and 2, and in verse 13, I want you to see Joshua chapter 13. Notice verse number 13. Look what it says about Caleb. This is Joshua. Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Gesherites, nor the Maccathites, but the Gesherites and the Machthites dwell among Israel until this day because they didn't expel.
But what did Caleb do? He did the very opposite. Caleb expelled all the enemies, but the Israelites did not expel them. They weren't diligent. They didn't persist to the end. They didn't fight the battle to the end. They didn't drive them out. And the Bible says in, in Joshua 13.13, 13, they didn't do it. In Joshua 16.10, in Joshua 18.2 and 3, in Joshua 17.2 and 13, they didn't drive out the enemies. Partial obedience. They only draw just a few of them. Pastor Josh, if you can give me a few of those scriptures that I gave you. Joshua 18.2 and 3, Joshua 17.12 and 13. Look, and they drove not out the Canaanites that dwell in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites unto this day and serve under tribute. Give me another scripture. How about Joshua 17, 12 and 13? Look, yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites would dwell their land. Give me one more. What about, what about 16, 10? And they drove not out the Canaanites that dwelled in Gezer. didn't drive them out just partial obedience when God says seven six is not enough they only did it partially but God told them to do it completely but they didn't only Caleb did he followed the Lord fully and drove out all the enemies because he obeyed because he loved the Lord and if you don't listen friends stay with me now if you don't drive out those enemies they'll come back to haunt you I promise you be sure your sin will find you out when I talk about enemies I'm not talking about Jebusites I'm talking about the things that you might have to deal with Lay aside those weights that so easily besets us. Things that are obstacles in our own lives. If you don't get rid of them and you put them under the cover and under the carpet, they will come back to haunt you. I promise you that. Numbers 14.21, Pastor Josh. But Caleb had a different spirit. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit, a vigilant, vigorous, visionary spirit, and hath followed me, what? Fully him will I bring to the land wherein to went, and his seed shall possess. You only see fully beside Caleb. All the tribes of Israel, you never saw fully. You only saw partially. Let me ask you, are you fully following the Lord? Or is it partial? Numbers 32.11, Deuteronomy 1.36, Joshua 14.8.9, we see the testimony of Caleb that he followed the Lord fully. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him will I give the land, and he 
All right. He would receive the land. That he hath trodden upon and to his children because he hath wholly followed the Lord. There we go again. That's the difference, my brothers and my sisters. Application, what do we learn? Oh, there's many things, but let me say this. Did not Jesus say, and now what the greatest commandment is? Did he not? What is the greatest commandment? He said, they, they said, what is the greatest? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. There's no greater commandment no greater commandment, no greater than to love your God, to love your God, to be vigorous in spirit towards your God, to be a visionary before your God, to be vigilant before your God. That's what set him apart. That's why Caleb obeyed, because he loved God. He had an experience with him, and he wanted to please him. The point is, when you follow the Lord wholeheartedly, you will experience his blessing, my friend. You will experience his blessing. There's no doubt about it. No exception. God will reveal himself. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The Lord, the Lord searches. His eyes run to and fro throughout the earth. His eyes run to and fro throughout the earth, showing himself strong to those whose hearts are committed to him. many of you are at a brink of something you may not even know and you stop persevering let Caleb be your model tonight don't give up friends God has something great don't look for the easy task God will empower you to do the difficult one how do I serve the Lord be vigilant. Be consistent. Be a visionary. Lord, show me what you want me to do. Be passionate. Hungry. Blessed are the hunger for they, those that hunger for righteousness. They shall, Jesus calls you blessed. Let me close. Caleb persevered to the end. What a testimony. There was an experiment done in 1957 in Harvard University with 20 rats. They wanted to determine the ability of survival with these creatures. They put them in a pool of water, 20 rats to see how long they would survive without drowning. About 15 minutes later, the rats were getting tired and they, you can see they were about to drown and of course they rescued them. They dried off the rats, dried them off, and the very same rats they put in the same pool of water to see how long they would survive the second time. So let me ask you, how long do you think they survived? Yes. You say nothing. Five minutes. What do you say, sir? Ten minutes. What do you say? Ten minutes. What do you say, sir? Five. Anybody else? 
30 minutes, good. Anybody else? Two and a half days. Two and a half days. The question is why? How? I'll tell you why. What did you say? We had hope that they were going to be rescued. She's right. The rats are very intelligent creatures. And they did, these are scientists, and they discovered that the rats, because of the way they are, they were rescued once, they felt they would be rescued again. And so they kept swimming to the best of their ability for two and a half days. And you think you can't make it, my friend? When you have a belief in a mighty God, you don't believe that he can sustain you and do things? Oh, I know you would drown ordinarily, but do you not believe that God can make a way when there's... If you believe it, you're going to keep running. If you believe it, you're going to keep hoping. If you believe it, you're going to keep trusting. You're going to keep believing because one day you're going to see him face to face. That was Caleb's prayer. He wanted to see the prayer and he got it. And no giant in hell could have stopped it. Let's all stand together.